1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Garden State of Hockey, all about the jerseys podcast, and uh, we have a lot to cover this week. It was a long week for the Devils, we actually played some games instead of, you know, taking one game and then resting for ten days around it, but my name's Dan Rosell, and I'm joining you with John Fisher. Hello John. Hi Dan.
0: A lot has happened. And I think we need to talk about the most important thing first.
1: Yeah, so this was an interesting alert to get on the old uh, on the old phone here this morning, but it was the fact that Corey Schneider had been waived by New Jersey or placed on waivers for the purpose of sending him down to Binghamton on assignment. Now, you know, there's no injury here. I mean there isn't overlooming injury. But it's not anything specific that we knew of in the recent uh, history of Corey Schneider. It's just that his play was really not at the level it had to be at. So what happened first wasn't even them sending Schneider down. We actually had a hint that something like this was coming because Louis Domingue was called up from Binghamton before this news had dropped. So when that first came out, what were some of your thoughts of what could possibly be happening?
0: Well, everyone on Twitter—when I say everyone, I say most of the Devil's fan base—was concerned about what to do with Schneider. My first thought was, "Oh dear, I hope Blackwood did not get hurt in Montreal,
1: because
0: mm-hmm. if you were talking about worst-case scenario, that would be—that's <laughs> up there, right? Because uh, why else would you call up a player? Either somebody's been bad, or somebody is hurt. And with respect to Schneider, you know, he's only played the one game in the last." Two and a half weeks, mm-hmm. or rather two games in the last two and a half weeks. So it's pretty well established that Blackwood is the number one goaltender. If you didn't think he was the number one goaltender, I'm sorry, um, you needed to be paying attention to the Devils. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Uh, but my fe- my first thought was, please let this not be
1: an injury to Blackwood. Mm-hmm.
0: So in a way, I was kind of relieved when they said Schneider on waivers.
1: Yeah, and it's a weird thing to hear. <clears throat> you know, at this point, even last year when he was dealing with all his injuries when he came back he was good, and we had a lot of hope in the summer, but he really yeah, in just, the preseason. yeah yeah he really just couldn't find his game. he really like i mean it's it's weird to say, but he just looks lost out there and hopefully some time in Binghamton where he actually gets some game action will be good for him and it seemed to help him a little bit last year as he was on the comeback trail from the injury, but yeah, it's Blackwood's net we go from m b uh, with a Corey Schneider in between to another MB and Mackenzie Blackwood, and again, this is this is his net moving forward. Dominguez is not really going to challenge him for any sort no. of significant time. So, how did he do in his first week, which included a back-to-back where he he started every game this week? And yeah, <laughs> you know, we were, we were looking towards the schedule and saying, oh, some of these back-to-back contests. Maybe Schneider's gonna have to start to give Blackwood some rest, but no, no, Blackwood nope. went out there and let, let's start with the absolute horrible heartbreaker that we said they couldn't lose against the Ottawa Senators, which they guess what they went out and lost. Yep, I got to witness this one live at the arena. Oh, so privileged. The, this was <laughs> yeah
0: the yeah the privilege was nobody's. Um, yeah, the Devils, the Devils in Ottawa played a very sleepy game. <laughs> And while the Devils did go up early, they scored two goals. Uh, Simmons got on the board, but then Justin uh, gabriel Pajot responded, and then Will Butcher got a long shot through, which is good for him. Uh, So you're up 2-1, and and it looked like, okay, the Devils are holding on. And then the Devils just stopped succeeding at anything. (laughs) They just – the fence in their own end, they started getting pinned back a little more. Neutral zone, they just – they would get zone entries, but they would go nowhere. The shots just dropped. And they were playing against Craig Anderson, who, mind you, has had a really bad season so far. Uh, there's a reason why Anders Nilsson, similar to Blackwood and Schneider, why Anders Nilsson has been their number one in Ottawa. Because Anderson, he he, he he ain't it, man. He, he doesn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. But not that the we would have known it from the Devils, since after an 11-shot first period, they took 12 shots for the remainder of the game. Mm-hmm. And as they were doing this, Ottawa was chipping, chipping, chipping away, and Borowiecki, Bor- Boroviki, I never know how to pronounce this one, Boro, the defenseman, <laughs> number 74 on Ottawa, gets you an equalizer. Pajot jams, jams one in because nobody's covering him at the post, so he had an easy layup. And then Pajot gets the hat trick on an empty netter. The Devils turn a 2-1 lead at the start of the third period and ended it in a 4-2 regulation loss to ottawa and that loss sent the devils to the bottom of the eastern conference standings to say people were upset and disappointed would be an understatement
1: Mm -hmm. this was very much one of those that felt like okay if it wasn't the season before This loss, you know, against some other teams that are in the top half of the Eastern Conference standings, a collapse like this, or even the Western Conference standings, since we were doing this indiscriminately, a loss like that while disappointing, while having a lead and maintaining it for a lot of the game, but then letting someone slowly (laughs) chip away, it's much easier to swallow when it's a team that's far above you in the standings. But when it's the only team in the conference that's below you, that is straight-up unacceptable. And especially
0: since... The attack just died. Like, it's it's almost remarkable. I, I keep going back to this point. This is a team with Taylor Hall. This is a team with P.K. Subban. This is a team with Nico Heischer, the big deal, Travis Zajac, Blake Coleman, Wayne Simmons, Will Butcher, Damon Severson. Like, this is a team that is not short on guys who can get stuff done on the ice and do positive things. How do you get only five shots on net against Ottawa in a period? How? How do you do that, Dan? I'll tell you how. When you're not prepared to play, you're not motivated to play, and you're not making the adjustments you need against an Ottawa team that was actually heading into the game with some pretty big notches on their belt. As of late, yeah, they got killed by Carolina a couple days on a couple days prior to this one, but that was also after Ottawa smashed Carolina four-one. So, you know, this is not an Ottawa team that was a complete doormat, but the Devils surely looked like ones. Mm-hmm. And again. At home. This was the this was the first game back after the five-game road trip, the three-and-two trip that people were like, okay, that's not bad. Maybe they're going to turn a corner. You know what hurts
1: the cause for that? Losing to Ottawa <laughs> in regulation while giving up yet another lead. And it seemed even more bleak than that, given what was coming up uh, on the horizon in terms of the Devils' schedule. So going into that game, it was an isolated game. They had time before <laughs> and after to kind of digest what happened there, and it was very bad as we've gone over. But you look ahead and you see a back-to-back on the road, or first of all, at home against Pittsburgh, and then on the road against Montreal the next night. And you view those games... I think Pittsburgh came at probably the best possible time to play them, since Crosby is going to be out for an extended period of time, and the Devils do get to see them again this next week. However, it was a bizarre game, but Blackwood essentially just really solidified his spot he if it wasn't i mean it was solid before but he got out there and he completely shut the door and it was a furious rally by the penguins in the third period the devils basically didn't even play that third period and somehow some way they held on for an unlikely 2-1 win but more importantly an unlikely 2-1 lead hold
0: you're absolutely right. Blackwood was the star. He was the first star of the game. Now, according to the attending media at the game, and they have this at the game summary at NHL.com, the three stars listed were Mackenzie Blackwood, number one, as you would expect. He made 38 saves out of 39 shots, and he made some absolute stunners uh, against Pittsburgh's uh, dazzling array of offense, which, even without Crosby, they demonstrated that they're more than just Sidney Crosby. Uh, the number two and number three stars went to the Devil's goal scorers of the of the day, uh, or the night, rather. Jack got the second star of the game, even though all he did was one touch, a Jesper Brot pass that just eluded Matt Murray, and really surprised everyone. And Blake Coleman's goal, well, Coleman's pressure... Made the goal happen, but the goal was really put into the net by John Marino, a defenseman on Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coleman took a weak shot as the second period was dying. Matt Murray handled the puck like he was carrying a bag of groceries, so the puck was not saved well at all. The rebound was just looming. You got Marino and Coleman are chasing it. I think Coleman made a stick check Marino, and Marino just popped it into the net. (laughs) So so, basic, so they got the two stars, but the other stars of the game, Dan, really should have been Lady Luck yeah. and the concept of physics because it was pretty much the Mackenzie Blackwood show. As, as mentioned, the Devils did not do anything to help their goalie out in, the, in as the game went on. The second period, if you thought five shots against Ottawa was terrible, two, two <laughs> shots against Pittsburgh, all period. Five shooting attempts. All period, in that third period, the Devils conceded 32 shooting attempts. Mackenzie Blackwood didn't just put on a show. He put on a very long and exhausting show. Yeah. So, I mean, full credit to him. He played out of his mind. He played like a stud. He played like a
1: star.
0: Uh, unfortunately, the guys in front of him decided to make it as hard as possible and give them the slimmest of leads to defend. Also, awesome job by uh, all the guys that completely failed to clear the zone three times before Jack Johnson. Gets the puck from Alex Galchianic on the weak side, and Johnson just sort of snipes one under the crossbar over Blackwood. That was the one goal against. Always good to see analytics superstar Jack Johnson uh, get one. I was going to say, if
1: I was going to pick any player on the Penguins to score, he would probably be the last or second-to-last person I'd pick.
0: Pretty much, but again— Thanks to a number of failed zone exits, I think this one got Nikita Gusev uh, benched. He was especially terrible. He had an ex- he had an expected goals for percentage of seven percent, Dad. like like below fifty is not good. If you're if you're in single digits, son, get off the ice. And I think after that shift, his his night was done. You didn't see him after that goal against. Mm-hmm. Not that any of the other Devil skaters uh covered themselves in glory that night. That it was really the Blackwood show. The Devils. Got a very important and much needed win because, frankly, they all their wins are necessary. It was just done in the worst way possible. Fittingly, this was the first game that I got to recap that was a Devils win this season, and it manages to be the one that most fans just went,
1: oh, that was a terrible win." <laughs> yeah, it but was <laughs> terrible or not. They they're at the point where they have to take it anyway it comes. Yeah, be- beggars cannot be choosers in this case. Right. So it was it was weird to see that they played markedly worse than a lot of their. Uh, games that ended up in collapsed leads. But somehow, some way, they managed to steal one, and that had, like you said, everything to do with Blackwood. He he was the reason they managed to get the full points from this contest and actually feel good going into Montreal the next day instead of, okay, we just came off more back-to-back home losses with blown leads. Where's this season going? Instead, they headed up to Montreal with a win in their pockets against the penguins and uh, amazing because this was one of the only games this season that I wasn't able to watch. I had to I had a prior <laughs> obligation and apparently it was the weirdest game in the history of time, which included a humped in goal and another amazing Blackwood performance. And also maybe the weirdest thing, an actual devil shorthanded goal with the second left in a period. What happened here?
0: Yeah, there there was a lot of entertainment in this game, uh, more much more than anybody I think would have bargained for heading into this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, to put it in perspective, the Devils and their crummy offense generated a whopping 21 shots against Pittsburgh all game on Friday night. They put 20 on in the first period alone against Montreal. Right. Uh, Montreal was not interested in defending, and the Devils were like, fine, we will pepper former New Jersey Devils goaltender Keith Kincaid with shot after shot after shot after shot after shot. Eventually, they broke through when Blake Coleman uh, set up Nikita Gusev for a pretty unstoppable shot right by the crease, which came seconds after Kincaid robbed Gusev right in front of the crease, which tells you why didn't anyone in Montreal pick up 97 in front of the crease? Well, you know, that's kind of how the the game was going for Montreal. Their their idea of defense was uh, iffy. Um, Nevertheless, the Montreal Canadiens did go uh, up as much as uh, 3-1, uh, head, heading towards the uh, second, near the end of the second. The Devils unfortunately took the first two penalties of the game <laughs> in the second period. Suban took a slashing call because he knocked Max Domi's stick away. Not really much of a slash, but okay. It, it was a defendable foul. You didn't want to give up the breakaway to Domi. And then during that penalty kill, Severson decided to get, uh, I think, Joel Armia's hands. Not much of a hook, but they're going to call it, and they did. So. Nick Suzuki scored right at the crease, uh, jamming one in to make it 3-1. And you're like, okay, the Devils have otherwise played a pretty good game, but they didn't beat Kincaid enough. It's already 3-1. It's on the road. You're playing against a play, you know, a possible playoff team in Montreal. Maybe this, this night is not going to be the night. And then and then Nico Heischer gets a breakaway in, on the remainder of the Severson kill and gets denied by Kincaid. But there's 30 seconds left. Montreal takes it up. Somebody loses it. I want to say it was Suzuki. I'm not sure. But somebody lo- lost it to Pavel Zaka. And he and he sure went off. And just as time is running off, you're just thinking to yourself, shoot. Just shoot. There's only three seconds left. Shoot. Two seconds. Pass. Shot. Into the net with one second left to play. It's 3-2. And you're like, oh, the Devils might have a chance here. All they need is one goal. They're playing against Keith Kincaid. Surely. Nothing weird is going to happen in the third period to prevent that. Oh. <laughs> And then the referees decided, and and the referees were Chris Rooney and Frederick Lecquiere, and they decided, we haven't used our whistles enough. I think we need to use our whistles early and often. And so you had got to see multiple abbreviated uh, four-on-three advantages, four-on-four situations, and and, and penalties called such that you knew one was going to end, but you had no idea who had the advantage by the end of it. (laughs) There was... I'm counting. I'm counting this right here. Nine separate penalties called, some of which are enraging. Like the Devils taking a too many men on the ice call during a what was going to be a four-minute power play, which was just in, which was insane. And on the other side, Max Domi decided to become a hero like his dad and do something re- remarkably stupid. He knocked uh, Blake Coleman lost his stick, knocking a puck out of the zone for a clearance during a penalty kill. And then Domi decided, I'm just going to knock Holman's stick away because I'm Max Domi and I don't care about the rules. And the ref nearby said, hey, man, you can't do that. That's interference. You're going to sit for that. And Max Domi said something I'm not going to use on this podcast because we're a clean podcast. Uh And he got an extra two for unsportsmanlike conduct. And once that penalty was finally sorted out, the Devils had an abbreviated power play. And that ended early because Taylor Hall, after a whole game of missing gimmies and great opportunities... And looking gift horses in the mouth and turning the other way, he found Wayne Simmons wide open at the at the far post killer pass. Simmons taps it in. It's three three. Let's go.
1: And then the other controversy happens, as you alluded to. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so just one thing to touch upon, it was. That he sure shot looked like he had practiced that against Kincaid maybe a million times, and that's the oh, only yeah. reason he managed to uh, pot that with one second left, because just watching back the highlights, he looked absolutely gassed making his way up the ice after killing that oh, penalty. Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, it was a super long—it's it's the second period, it's near the end of the period. He already went off on a breakaway, so oh, right. he was not at 100%. The gas tank was near the E mark for uh, Nico, but thankfully his shot was true, and Kincaid. You know, he's just not he's just not big and talented or quick enough as Mackenzie Blackwood. What can can you say?
1: (laughs) And uh, so that leads us to the other controversy where Blackwood wasn't quite able to get to the puck. But there's a few layers to this. So one of the layers is that one of the players in Montreal was laying in the crease behind Blackwood. And essentially, uh, I mean, there's no better way to say it than pelvic thrusted the puck towards the goal. And that was one part of the controversy where, is is it legal to direct it with any part of your body? The answer is no. No. The, the ar- rules are actually very clear about that. Right. So the argument there was, did he actually direct <laughs> it or was he pushed in? That's one caveat to it. And then another thing happened where it looked like one of the Devils may have closed his hand on the puck in right. the crease, which would have yielded a penalty shot. The amount of times those calls have gone against New Jersey this year has been truly... Truly brutal, and now it's it's something that it's weird that they got both parts of that to go their way because that's not something that I would expect.
0: And it's worse; it's actually worse than what you described, Dan. Mm -hmm. This happened with less than a minute in regulation. Oh, right. So Montreal just bombed the zone after they they weren't bad in the third period. It wasn't like the Devils were bad themselves. It was just such an uneven period with all the penalties called. There was only eight minutes of five on five play. In the third period. But in the final minute, Montreal just looked like Brendan Gallagher and Philip Deneau just decided we're gonna make a goal happen no matter what. Gallagher, I think, was the one that got a close shot on that. And Dano saw the puck was loose and decided, I'm just gonna crash the net like there's no tomorrow. Nico Heesher kind of went with him. Blackwood gets clobbered. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if Deneau was pushed. He might have been. Excuse me. But uh, to your point, the puck. Was first covered. It looked like Kescher sure was trying to close his hand on the puck, but clearly that didn't work as the puck got loose. Mm-hmm. And then, as you said, Dano decided to uh, use his uh, thigh—I want to say his right thigh—to just, you know, hump the puck into the net. <laughs> and initially, the call on the ice was a goal. So that's the big struggle here: is that you had to hope that Toronto would look at this and go, "All right." Did, did you see a hand close on the puck? But if you're going to call it a goal, who can't, you're not going to call it back for a penalty shot. You're just going to call the goal. And thankfully, it was clear enough that Dano used his pants to push that puck over the line, the, the last touch. I mean, the Devils broadcasters weren't really looking for it. They were look, more looking at, did he sure close his hand on it? Did Dano uh, get pushed in or was it himself? Was it going to be goaltender interference because Blackwood was not in a position to do anything mm-hmm. about it? He had bodies on him. Uh, but thankfully rule 78.5 uh, i or one is makes it very clear you cannot deliberately score a goal with any part of your body that is not the stick well so it doesn't matter if it's your hips doesn't matter if it's your thighs it doesn't matter if it's your butt your calves your your chest your arms your head if it's deliberate it ain't a goal
1: well, so we've seen calls before where it goes off a player's skate, and it looks like they may have directed the puck in with the skate, but right. those tend to stand.
0: Yeah, because you can't. If they're not kicking, uh, motion. Yeah, you you those sorts of things you cannot indisputably say. Oh, he did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. But in this case, Dino absolutely did this on purpose. Yeah. He saw the puck was on the line and just figured, all right, I got to think back to when I was in middle school and I was starting to get those feelings. Oh my and god. And I was learning how to dance. And I gotta, I just got to go for it. Just got to go for the goal. And if I do this, I'm the hero. I, I, they're going to write about my magic thighs in uh, uh, wh- whatever the big paper. The Montreal Gazette. They're going to write about my magic thighs in the Montreal Gazette. I'm going to be the hero of the night. No, nah, that
1: was not the hero of the night. If anything, he became the GOAT <laughs> about a minute, minute later in the game. Yeah, so it went from heartbreaking potential <laughs> loss to uh, an overtime, which the Devils have been notoriously bad in. But this time around, something was blessing them on this night because they got a power play in overtime. Thanks to Dan O, hooking Hall and failing at it. And after a frustrating night full of missteps and close calls for Taylor Hall, he managed to get both the game-tying and the game-winning assist. And that is Taylor Hall in a nutshell, essentially. He can be so frustrating to see him miss these opportunities. It's, It's so... You can you can tell that he feels the pressure of only having two goals right now, and yet he set up, like I said, both the game tying and the game winning goal. Uh, and the game winning goal was scored by Kyle Palmieri, short side on yep. the power play. Yep, a beauty. That's a classic Kyle Palmieri. But Hall again, man, just to get two points in one of his most frustrating games of the season, which is again one of the reasons that they have to. Wait to do their assessment of where the team stands later, because if you lose a guy like that who can have a frustrating night, as Hall did, and yet still manage to put points on the board at important times, that's someone you need for any sort of run that you plan on making.
0: Right. And also, they did a nice thing on that particular power play. It was a four on three, as you would in overtime. They put Paul Palmieri and Hall on the opposite wings. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't, they, which is, it's also something they were doing a little bit with the Simmons power play goal. Obviously it didn't go to Palmieri, it went to Simmons. But the point is, is that that was something they had success in past seasons. And they finally decided to go back to it and it worked out very well to your point. Yeah. Hall, Hall has more shots than everyone else on the team. So it's not like he's not trying to score. Mm-hmm. It's just maddening. Cause he missed, he missed a layup at the side of the net. He, gets denied on breakaways he gets denied in one-on-one situations he a puck just came off the end boards the net was empty and somehow you know what's his name not kale flurry or is it kale flurry Caden he... flurry whatever yeah. a guy named flurry blocks this it's like dude you're Taylor Hall you need to bury the empty netter. <laughs> especially since it was 2-1 at the time. So this was after Fleury just scored. So it would have been massive if Hall just tied it up 2-2, and then maybe, you know, this game goes a little bit differently instead of all types of pairs shaped Nevertheless, you're absolutely right. Hall was the guy who made the killer passes, and he made the passes that I think only a handful of other Devils would even try, much less succeed at at, at making. So I don't want to turn this into another, hey, this means the Devils need to resign Hall, or oh, no, the Devils need to trade Hall, or whatever. But I will agree that uh, this is why Hall is special as opposed to other players in, in the league.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And not to mention that Nikita Gusev probably had his best game as a devil He absolutely as well.
0: had his best game. It's not even a question. It's not probably. He was absolutely great out there. He had seven shots on net. He wasn't a complete pylon on defense. He knew where to be off the puck. He nearly had another goal. So... It's not like he took seven really weak shots. Like, he got into the, quote-unquote, dirt, dirty and difficult areas of the ice and got some shots on Kincaid. Like, Kincaid had to do very well against, well, against everyone because he faced 43 shots, but seven of them from Gusev, very good. And Gusev still found a way to score. Mm-hmm.
1: So, do you think, job done. Do you think the fact that he was sitting for most of the game the night prior enabled him to do that? Do you think he got any sort of, you know perspective on bouncing back from a rough night from his time spent with Patrick Elias? Cause it seemed to come, you know, we talked about how against Pittsburgh, he really was he terrible. Just, say, just say, he, he, he was awful. And the next yeah. day he comes back and plays his best game in New Jersey. So I, I don't know. Is it something that has changed for him in the time that he was a healthy scratch? Is it something that, you know, mm-hmm. he took the third period to regroup. What do you think this performance came from?
0: Well, a part of me would like to think that somebody, whether it's a coach, a teammate, his girlfriend, his wife, I, I don't i don't know his marital status. Somebody said to him, Gusev, you got to be better than this, man. You, you just have to be better than this. Because we're talking about a 24-hour turnaround here. It's not like he had a couple days off to reflect, watch tape, and go, oh, man, I've been doing this, this, and this wrong, and let me go uh, do this, this, and this to correct it. Like, he had very limited time to turn it around. And let's also not forget that Montreal – just had no interest in defending less in that game. Uh-huh. I mean, the Devils' defense wasn't exactly on top form either. Like, this game had a combined 77 shots between the two teams. This was very much a high-event hockey game. You know, Gusev and his matchup definitely did incredibly well. I think that was a big contributing factor instead of a Pittsburgh team that actually was shutting things down And on top of the fact that the Devils just faded in terms of their effectiveness in going forward. Um, But I'd like to think that somebody had a word with him and Gusev probably realized, look, I just had a crummy game. I helped contributed to what could have been a disastrous goal against Pittsburgh. If this continues, I'm going to get scratched again. (laughs) So go out there and make a point of it. And he absolutely did. Mm -hmm. So good. You know, it's one of those cases where unless you and I are in the room, we're never going to fully know the answer unless he speaks up about it. And even then you don't know if he's telling the whole story. That said. You just kind of appreciate it for what it is, and it was great. Kuznetsov yeah. was legitimately great in Montreal.
1: And again, going from five eight and four staring down the barrel of a back to back to seven eight and four with a couple of the weirdest results they've gotten this year, but finally in a positive way, the outlook changes entirely. It, it, if either of those games goes haywire and you know haywire in the bad way that they all have so far before these two we're looking at a much different mountain to climb we're looking at the devils still being uh, at the bottom of the conference instead it looks like some teams have played a few more games than them but they're not out of range of teams like toronto for example no and i wrote
0: about this on friday i wrote about the mountain that the devils have to climb the devils over the whole season they need to be shooting for a points percentage of somewhere between 57 and 60% to really qualify for the wild card spot. Forget the top 3 positions. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to walk before you can crawl here. I'm sorry, you have to walk before you can run. You got to crawl before you can walk. Right. And the Devils are crawling right now. Because yeah, you're they're not at the bottom of the conference, but they're in a three-way tie with um the Rangers and the Blue Jackets with 18 points and they're just a point ahead of Ottawa and Detroit. The good news is that the Devils have played more fewer games than Ottawa and Detroit, so they have some help there. And you're right. They did have played fewer games than Toronto. They've played one less game than Pittsburgh, Philly, and Buffalo, which are the three teams atop the wild card standings, so to speak. However, the big mountain is that the Devils need to keep getting results, and that's always the challenge. It's easy to say, "Oh man, the Devils won two games, and now they're only six points back, and they got a game in hand." So who knows? You know, it's not out out of the possibility. But the reality is that you got to keep on winning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You got to keep getting those results. You got to keep winning weeks. It's why you look at a schedule coming up like the Devils have, where they get to play Boston on Tuesday, Pittsburgh again in Pittsburgh on Friday, and then they come back and play Detroit. They got to continue to get results out of that. They got to get if they can come out of that with two wins. Great. But that's not going to be that's going to be easier said than done, seeing that a Pittsburgh is probably going to want some revenge. B, Boston is really good. And if we learned anything from the Ottawa game this past Wednesday mm-hmm. is that. You can't trust any opponent in the NHL, so you can't pencil in a W for that Detroit game, even though I would really like to.
1: Yeah, so at, at this point, it's impossible to really pencil <laughs> in a W for any Devils game except, except against Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, except Vancouver.
0: But that being said, this is how progress happens. It's not going to be something where... You just have a couple good games, and then everything's just all right. It's a lot like losing weight. It's a lot like paying off a debt. It's a lot like working on a big project at work. You got to take in smaller steps and in the, in the sense that if you keep taking progress, progressive steps, you keep making progress, you keep making improvements, you'll eventually get to where you want to be. So don't get me wrong. Good first step in this past week to right the ship, so to speak. It definitely looks a lot better at 7, 8, and 4 that it does at, say, 5-10-4 mm-hmm. or 5-9-5 and five, or something to that extent. Mm-hmm. That said, there's a long way to go, and the Devils have to keep on getting results. They cannot afford another extensive slump, or and they really need to avoid the heartbreakers. That That's really the killers here. I mean, if you have to go to overtime against Boston, count that a win, because I don't think the Devils are going to catch Boston anytime no. soon. But it's the the games against Pittsburgh, the games against Tampa Bay, our hated rivals, Toronto, Buffalo, Philly, Columbus. Those are the games that are pretty much you better win this and win it in regulation because that's your new tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. The first tiebreaker is no longer road in. Did you know that? I did not. No. That's why the Devils are ahead of Columbus in the standings right now because they have five regulation wins. That's the first tiebreaker now. It's not regulation and overtime. It's just straight up regulation. Okay. Uh, So New Jersey has five, which isn't very much. But Columbus only has three, so okay. that's, why the Devils are ahead. that's why the Devils are not dead last in the division for another week. They are well, they're just ahead of Columbus. But again, you have to take the you have to crawl before you can walk, and then you got to be able to walk before you can run. And the Devils are crawling still, so they got to keep getting the results and get themselves upright, and then they could start making moves on getting past our hated rivals, and then Tampa Bay, and then Toronto, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, I think the collective hope is that they've already experienced the worst losses in terms of heartbreak factor that they're going to experience this year because you can pick out any of those games where they blew leads at home and what time they blew the lead or how they did it, whether they lost in regulation overtime. You can safely say that seeing a bunch of those games, it feels like the worst may be behind them, but I don't know. With this team, anything's possible, and exactly. they find new creative ways to kind of blow it. But I would like to think that the worst possible games are already behind them.
0: I would hope so. Mm -hmm. I really don't want to find out it could be worse. I know it can be worse. You and I can sit here and come up with hypotheticals of really, really, really terrible potential results. Mm -hmm. But I really hope that after October and half of November in the books that the terrible losses are going to be fewer and far between. And there should hopefully be more winning results. I'd rather I'd rather talk and write about a terrible win like the Pittsburgh game than the Ottawa game. I'll put it that way.
1: Yep. Every time. And uh, we'll we'll take a quick break before we field some of your questions here as well. But you're absolutely right. It's just much more pleasant to be around the culture of a winning team. It just seems like everyone is having a better time when the team is winning, and for that to continue to happen. They need to basically look at the entirety of this start to the season and say, how do we avoid blowing leads like we have this year? That is the one focus they should have moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll take a break real quick here just to hear from some of our sponsors. And we'll be right back uh, right after this.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal.
1: Today, as we had a recording session planned, it is Monday when we're recording this, so we're doing this before the Boston game, which, you know, neither of us seem to have very high hopes for. So we asked you guys for some questions on the All About the Jersey Twitter page, so it looks like some have poured in and some have already answered themselves.
0: Yes. Uh, the first first response was, uh, what to do with Corey from Dylan Pescatore. And, well, we know the answer right now. I will, instead of just throwing that one to the side, Dan, I will offer this additional point. Mm-hmm. That a lot of people on Twitter and on All About the Jersey and our slash devils and njdevs.com and Hockey's Future, wherever you go to talk devils hockey, a lot of people have been talking as if uh, Schneider's career is done. Mm-hmm. And I want to offer this point. Not yet. And I'm not just saying that because... I have some incredible high hope for Schneider. It's just that Dominguez is not very good of a goaltender. Like uh, the st- the stats on him is that he's never really had a quote unquote good season from a save percentage or a goal save above average standpoint. Yeah, he had, he won 21 games last year, but he was also on one of the best regular season teams in recent memory in Tampa Bay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's not like he needed to be great. He just needed to be halfway decent, which he was. So. My my point here is that if Domingue – if Domingue, rather, is not that good or Blackwood turns into a pumpkin or more likely if either of those guys get hurt, we're going to see Schneider back in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And So I wouldn't write off his career entirely just yet. Of course, if he gets waived by the time this post uh, – I'm sorry, this show comes out, then, you know, well, that's the answer, Dylan, what to do. <laughs> well, so else has to deal with it now? It's not, it's not our problem anymore.
1: Right, but in order for that to happen, that's the kind of thing where it seems very unlikely that another team would pick him up because they'd have to absorb the entire $6 million that he would cost them in the NHL. And what's happening now is that basically they're taking a million off of the cap hit because, or if he goes to the AHL. In the Devil's ideal world, you know, Blackwood holds the fort in the NHL in the AHL Schneider seems like he's thriving and they can afford to they can afford to bring him up without fearing that it'll be an automatic loss whenever he's in the goal now of course they're going to fear that until he actually gets that elusive win again
0: but well we also have to hope the devil score some goals in
1: front of him right that too that's that's been an issue that they've had since he's been in New Jersey um and but they don't want to have his large cap hit they don't want to be spending that kind of money on someone who's playing in the ahl they would love to see him play his way back and that's something that is very important to the organization that has invested a lot in Corey schneider clearly he's a strong you know locker room guy there's a lot of players who talk about him as someone that they respect in the locker room but from the hockey perspective you have to produce and so hopefully this is a wake-up call For him to do that. But it is one solution that you and I discussed on the previous podcast in terms of sending him down to Binghamton. And I remember thinking it was probably one of the lesser, less desirable options, but it was an option given that, like I said, it's very unlikely that another team picks him up off of waivers given the recent history with his play and his cap hit.
0: Right. But again, we we cannot we cannot ignore the whole the larger point that uh, the Devils have put all their eggs in the Blackwood basket and we have to hope that a Blackwood is who he is more like the player that we've seen in the past week and not what we've seen earlier in the season or what we saw against Calgary that this is closer to what you're going to get from him and just as importantly if Domingue isn't very good or but either guy gets hurt he'll he'll be back. Mm-hmm. Um, So anyway, so that's what to do with Corey, Dylan. Easy enough. (laughs) That's easy enough. Okay. uh, A guy named Antbo said, people don't talk about Taylor Hall only having two goals this season. (laughs) That is a lie because we did talk about that.
1: We talked about it a lot at last show. So I don't feel like we need to keep talking about it. No, and definitely people talk about the fact that he only has two goals this season. Everyone's talking about it.
0: Yeah, fan, fans in general are very frustrated with Taylor Hall. And not just and, Devils and again, fans,
1: other fans who wanted to trade for him potentially, they look and yeah. say, well, maybe this isn't as appealing if the guy only has two goals this year.
0: Yeah, or, or worse, it's like, wait a minute. So you don't want to buy him when he's cold. You want to buy him when he's hot. Right. Anyway, so there we go. <laughs> Good. So, Anpo, people are talking. <laughs> don't- I have a feeling that may have been sarcasm, but whatever. All right. Here, here, Here's a fun question, to, to your point about how people feel better after wins. Alexander Barrett asked, is it Tuesday?
1: Mm-hmm. And he's referencing the uh, the Instagram story from P.K. Subban, I assume? Yeah, so okay. after the game, <laughs>
0: he, he turns to Halsey, because P.K. Subban is a wizard at uh, nicknames. He turns to Halsey and says, hey, what day is it? And Taylor Hall's just like, is it Tuesday? <laughs> Subban's like... Nah, it's Saturday. And, and Hall turns back and goes, Can we? you got to recor- re-record that. And Subban's like, nah. And Simmons is like, nah. And then Subban just says, we're in the mix. And then that's the end of the video.
1: I, I really can't tell if people are annoyed by it or they're just, you know, it. it obviously they're tired from the game and they're getting on this flight, but I, I can't. It seemed like Simmons and it Hall like weren't much those, up to talking.
0: It, it sounds like one of those goofy in-jokes that if you were there, you'd, you'd find it funny. Mm-hmm. But thanks to the social media, now the world knows, and we think it's just plain goofy that Taylor Hall doesn't know what day it is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so Dan, is it Tuesday? Well, currently, no. No, it's Monday, you fool. But, we're recording on Monday. We said so earlier. But will it be very soon? Also, yes. 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 Tuesday will eventually come, and Tuesday, this coming Tuesday brings a game against Boston. So anyway. I'd rather
1: it not be Tuesday anytime soon, even though it will be, because any matchup against Boston kind of scares me <laughs> a lot.
0: Patrice, Patrice Bergeron is apparently a game-time decision, which of course means nothing when the show gets out. But Oh, you
1: know. so just Marchand and Pasternak will then yeah. have as many goals as the Devils do.
0: Yeah. As a quick aside, I did ask uh, through the All About the Jersey blog account, well, how will people react to Brad Marchand? Since it's been some time since he elbowed Marcus Johansson in the head. But most Devil fans, at least that responded to the account, have told me that they're going to boo. Whether or not they're going to be at the arena or at home booing their television, they're going to boo Brad Marchand. Mm-hmm. I cannot
1: say I blame them. Well, no. He, he's a very hateable hockey player. It makes sense, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you can boo him all you want, he's still likely going to score.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mar- Marchand has proven many times that you can punch this man, you can boo him, you can insult his mom, you could. You can tell him that you're five foot eleven but six foot one lying down, um, you know, because of his big fat nose. He'll come right after you and lick you. He's it. gonna score he's gonna score two goals and annoy the hell out of you, and you're gonna sit there and go.
1: Why? Why did it have to be him? Oh, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna lick your whole face and then he's gonna dish it off to poster knock on the power play and he's gonna score. That's just yeah. things I've seen too many times living in Boston this year. But again that's happening on Tuesday, which brings us back to the original question. No, it is not yet Tuesday. Uh, thanks for the memes.
0: Yeah. All right. So here, here's a good question. Not that the Is It Tuesday question wasn't good, <laughs> Whoa. but this one is good. Okay. This, this is an interesting one. It actually picks your brain a little bit. It comes from a fellow who calls themselves Bolt Gang. Uh, a quick look at his Twitter, uh, his or her Twitter page. Uh, makes it very clear that they support the San Diego Chargers. Mm. That's the Bolt. Not, they're not Tampa Bay fans that were just responding to the show because they're Closet Devil fans that don't want to admit that they support the Devils. Hey. This is a Chargers fan.
1: If they are, hey, we welcome you. It's fine. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Come out of the closet. Support the Devils.
0: Anyway, <laughs> we have more cups than Tampa Bay. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what phrasing. Okay, anyway, the question Anyways, was. The
0: question is. Could you rank our defensemen in order of who's doing the best this season? Ooh. There are there are 8 defensemen, Dan. I want to hear your rankings first.
1: Oh, With, okay, you want yeah. to go last to first or first to worst?
0: Uh, how, how are you feeling, Dan? Are you feeling worst to first? I'm feeling worst to first. Let's start worst
1: to first. I have a feeling I can guess your worst. Yeah, it's Matt Tennyson.
0: It's Matt Tennyson. Oh, man, I got to stand up because I'm so shocked I have to sit down to hear that.
1: Yeah, it's it's Matt Tennyson. He has not been doing well, and really no one is that surprised considering he wasn't on anyone's radar before the season started. In fact, he wasn't on anyone's radar when he went far into training camp and then continued to not be on anyone's radar until there were some injuries that piled up, and then he ended up getting a lot more minutes than he should be getting on a regular basis. So he's my worst. Okay. Okay. Then I feel like you could interchangeably put Mueller and Carrick next. Hmm. Okay. I, I think you'd... Ha- I haven't seen enough... The problem with Carrick is that he hasn't really played enough to get a no, feel he, for how he's done.
0: He's played four games and then has a broken broken finger.
1: Right. So it's... I think he should probably be off to the side somewhere. Like, it's hard to put him in that ranking with such a small sample size. But I would probably go with mueller next
0: mueller at seven
1: yeah well and it, it's weird because i'd probably throw carrick over and just make it which of the seven like how are the seven ranked instead of including carrick at all
0: okay well we're including carrick okay so, so
1: let's include carrick in his four games he wasn't completely atrocious i'd put him at six but caveat a small sample size and mueller at seven
0: all right. So who who's your fifth defensive? Oh god.
1: It's a, I don't like Severson probably. Mm. He's had a weirdly uncharacteristic year because he had just mm. started producing points in the last couple of seasons, but this year he seems to not have found that level of success again yet. Okay. This is this is probably easier to do first to worst, because it's easier for me to remember who's been doing very well, including a guy that's about to come back, fortunately, for New Jersey.
0: Okay, well, there's four spots left, so who's number four, Dan?
1: Uh, Andy Green.
0: Okay, the captain.
1: Yes, the captain makes an appearance because he still eats a ton of penalty kill minutes, and the Devils have been... Wildly undisciplined in these opening twenty-ish games, so I wouldn't call them wildly undisciplined. Okay.
0: I don't think they're a top ten shorthanded team. For
1: pockets of time, they've been wildly undisciplined.
0: Well, yeah, but the, every every team's gonna have nights nice, like the Montreal game, for example, mm-hmm. you know, where the referees just kind of go out of control and call makeup call after makeup call after makeup call. Mm-hmm. But okay, green at four,
1: green at four, which would put Butcher, I think, or oh, it's tough. Mm. Uh, it's 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 a hard one to call because i feel like these two have kind of traded off but butcher and suban would be my two and three
0: so butcher at three and suban at two
1: probably (laughs) probably okay probably
0: (laughs) so by the process of elimination dan who is your number one defenseman yeah my number one defenseman sammy vodnan all right well I imagine you're happy that also on Monday, the other big news is that Sammy Votnin is apparently back in the lineup and will apparently play against Boston.
1: Yeah, Colton White got an exciting two-game ride on the roster and then got sent yeah. back down without any game action. So Vatanen yeah. being back is tremendous. He had been having a very good start from an offensive perspective. He took over the main quarterback spot of the power play one just when it started clicking, so... I do think he's been the most steady um, in terms of the Devil's defenseman this year. So what would you say? What would what would be your uh, kind of counterpunch to this, this ranking? Okay.
0: All right. Well, my list is a little different than yours. I, you probably heard some noises in the background. I was actually writing down your list mm-hmm. to make sure that I understood it correctly and I could respond and point out what is correct and what is not correct. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm not going to John McLaughlin you and just start yelling wrong uh, after your list. Anyway, I'll do worse the first, you know, same as you. Mm-hmm. Tennyson is absolutely the worst defenseman on the New Jersey Devils. He actually does not play a lot, but when he does play, he's usually in his own end of the rink. Mm-hmm. And he has been torched many, 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 many times. Um, I've written about this recently at All About the Jersey, about how – analytics metrics stats stats in general any type of stat they represent a macro view of a player and what tends to happen is that you know because we pay attention to games and stuff we tend to really overemphasize micro events like this guy got burnt that one time that means he's a terrible defenseman Mm -hmm. or he can't clear the puck so he's bad at zone exits whereas the macro stats will really tell us if somebody's really doing well this season Tennyson is not Tennyson is playing like a defenseman from last season. His course 4 percentage is 42%. His expected goals percent is just below 43%. Whenever he steps on the ice, the other team is attacking a lot, and the Devils are not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The whole point of playing defense is not to play a lot of defense. Tennyson does. He's number eight. Mm-hmm. Number seven. Now, this is a little unfair because, as you said, it's a small sample size, but I have to put Carrick in this spot because he has been horrendous in his four games of action mm. so far this season uh i was hoping for a little bit more because he was a, you know he's really more of the depth defenseman he's your number six number seven guy um he's a right-sided defenseman so you know you could you would have liked to have seen him uh be present to uh provide balance in case anything happened to severson Subban, or i don't know sammy vatnin but carrick broke his finger first so but when he did play so far this season, it has been heinous. It has been abysmal. Hmm. It's been on the. It's been levels as bad as Tennyson. Yeah, so he's my number seven.
1: It's just harder to tell with him, but I can see where you're coming from.
0: All right, here's a here's a fun number six, Dan. Ooh. Will Butcher. Ooh, okay. Will Butcher last season was statistically the best defenseman on the team, and it was very, very apparent. He was doing great next to Ben Lovejoy, and he continued to do great even away from Ben Lovejoy. So here I'm thinking, and maybe you're thinking, and CJ was definitely thinking, and many other Devils fans are thinking: is all right, Butcher's going to be a solid top four guy. Maybe you pair him next to Saban. Maybe you pair him with Severson. Maybe you pair him with that. and you know, give him big minutes. You know, he's ready for big minutes. Well, he's averaging 16 and 40, 16 minutes and 45 seconds in 5 and 5 play, and whenever he's on the ice he's getting pinned back a lot. Hmm. And I mean, a lot like when he's on the ice, the devils are taking 20, just under 26 shots per 60 minutes and allowing close to 30. That's a 46 percentage. That's no good expected goals. It's almost as bad as tennis in it. just under 43% scoring chances, opposing teams love taking scoring chances against Will butcher. And the frightening thing is that if you just watch him, if if you don't even look at the numbers, you just watch him. It's like, all right, He's not good in front of the net. He's not winning pucks along the board and he surely is not helping facilitate the offense. Yeah. He got a goal against um, Ottawa. Great. Good job. He got a second goal of the season, but this is a guy who was quarterbacking the first power play unit for two solid seasons. He started there as a rookie Dan Mm -hmm. and now he's nowhere to be seen on the power play and he has not missed. Right. That's the shocking thing. Butcher has had a terrible start to this season and on a, on a team filled with less than impressive starts, it is shocking that his has been so bad. He's my number six
1: guy. I, I think my perspective of him was more that I didn't remember any particularly egregious giveaways, as you were talking about, those micro moments. Right. Where he, you know, straight up just passed the puck <laughs> through the slot like some of the other guys have done. or yeah. yeah. Subban comes to mind for, you know, it might have been a meaningless seventh goal against Buffalo, but it was still him flubbing receiving the puck that led to the breakdown so moments like that but they don't happen as much for butcher
0: right so my number five guy is mueller Mm -hmm. now i will say he was also terrible to start the season Mm
1: -hmm.
0: however since coming back from being scratched for a couple games he has been okay-ish i'm not gonna sit here and say he's been amazing because he hasn't been his numbers are still not very good He's still getting pinned back a lot. But it's not as bad as Carrick. It's not as bad as Tennyson. And in some regards, it's not as bad as Butcher. And in fact, by the expected goals model, he's actually near 50% when he's on the ice, Hmm. which is not bad. Mueller is the definition of an unflashy defenseman. You're not going to get a lot of offense happening when he's on the ice. So it's almost expected that you're going to see him on defense a lot. But provided that it's not killing the team, it, it, it is what it is. And he's surprisingly not that bad of a penalty killer as well. He was very good on it last season. Not so much of this season, but last season he was. Nevertheless, Mueller is showing signs of some improvement and at the very least he's not as cat- catastrophic as Butcher has been. So, he's number 5.
1: Okay. That's fair.
0: All right. Now this is where things get interesting. All right. Number 4 on my list is going to be Severson. Okay. And I want to I want to put a caveat here is that Severson is pretty much the definition of a guy among the devil's fan base where his mistakes tend to get, uh, what's the word? Magnified Mac- Well, I was going to say projected, but magnified is a good word too. Mm-hmm. It gets magnified a lot more to cover up his issues. Severson does take risks as a player, but that's part of what makes him a good player at times is that he's willing to take those offensive chances and he's willing to pinch in and he's willing to help out. It hasn't resulted in a lot of goals because the guys around him have also not been scoring goals. But when he's on the ice, the Devils have an expected goals percentage of 53%. And while he's below 50% in Corsi and chances and shots, it's actually in the higher end. It's like 47, 48%. So that's a lot much more. That's much more workable than say 42 43 44 percent like the other guys we just talked about and the other thing in, in severson's favor is that he actually has done a lot of this while playing on his offhand so while vatnin was initially injured the devils ran severson as a left-sided defenseman next to pk suban hmm. so sticking severson and suban from a talent perspective is almost contentious because it's like two of the same type and they both are risk-taking defensemen um uh, and then you have to add to the fact that Severson's not on his natural side. But he actually acquitted himself pretty well there. I'm not going to turn around and say Severson is having a great season, because he really isn't. But it's not that bad. And the expected goals model really hints at that, that things could be going better if the goal hitting behind him was a little bit better. And if the guys around him were finishing plays a lot more often. Mm. So I've got him at four. Coming in at number three is, is the captain, Andy Green. I wrote a whole post about how Andy Green's season has been a lot more surprising, because after seasons, the past two seasons of getting killed, like, yeah, he's at a 46.6 course, you 4 percentage. That's still bad. But the shot's 4 percentage is above 50. His expected goals ratio is 57. Wow. Uh, chances chances uh, 4 and even high danger chances are are above, on the right side. They're, they're in the green. So, Compare that to past seasons where his course, he was closer to 40% than 50. Like, this is a big turnaround. And I think a big reason for that is that Subban's arrival to the team has led to Subban being the number one defenseman. So Green having fewer shifts and some somewhat easier matchups have really, really worked out. And it shows that he still has some gas in the tank. Not a lot of gas. He's 37. He's in the final year of his contract. He's still not generating a ton of offense, but Andy green at 15 minutes per game, instead of 17 minutes per game has been a big help. And it's been one of the fewer hidden bright spots of the team that hasn't had a lot of bright spots on it. So I've got him at three mm-hmm. coming in at number two is Sammy Vatnin. Okay. So Vatnin absolutely has taken over the first power play unit. However, that's kind of a backhanded compliment since the first power play unit has round really hot and cold, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Uh, I think Vatnin's absence has hurt, but at the same time, it's not like they were doing a whole lot with him to begin with. Uh, He's been pretty solid when he's on the ice. Again, expected goals ratio. It's just above 50%, but the fact is is that he he has the second lowest expected goals against ratio. Uh, When he's on the ice, the Devils are taking nearly 53% of the shots. Um, There's more offensive opportunities. Vatnin has been a very solid hand, and the fact that... uh, You can almost swap Green and Vatnin if you really want to, but I think Vatnin's production has helped him out in this regard. So I've got him at two, which means my number one defenseman is the guy I wrote about at length on Monday, P.K. Subban, Mm -hmm. who's had a really, really solid profile. Yeah, the points aren't there. Subban not scoring a lot of points is very surprising because we're talking about a guy who's had 30 points in every season of his career, even the seasons where he missed over 10 games and even in that 48-game season of 2013. And he's on pace for 21 right now, but that's the fault of the guys around him, uh, not finishing the plays, not taking rebounds and scoring. But when he's on the ice, the Devils are actually generating over 50. percent uh, I'm sorry, over 50 attempts per 60 minutes, whereas everybody else on the team is at 49.7 or below. Like when he's on the ice, offense happens, and this is a team that needs offense. Mm-hmm. Same with shots. When he's on the ice, Devils are taking 31 point are taking 31.8 shots. Uh, per 60, yeah, the shots against is a little high, but the Devils are coming out ahead, and that's and he's only behind batting in that regard. The expected goals ratio, also positive. The only thing that isn't so positive or so bad are the chances, but again, this is a guy who takes risks, but he's good enough to actually come back and play defense, hustle back and play defense, unlike Marek Zdliski and John Moore before him. He's way more talented at taking those risks. I think it would be much more apparent if, He gets back on power play one at some point and or the guys around him that he's playing with finish some plays. So this way some goals happen when when he's out there. But when he when he is out there, the Devils are generating good things. And this is a guy who's playing more minutes than everybody else. So on a team that's bereft of offense, especially over the last two weeks, Subban has really played well. Yeah, he's going to make some mistakes. But I got some bad news for you. Virtually every player in the NHL is going to make some terrible mistakes that make them look like chumps. Mm-hmm. Andy Green has done it. Scott Stevens has done it. Scott Niedermeyer has done it. Martin Perdora has done it. Mackenzie Blackwood has done it. You know, everybody makes big mistakes. But So that's why you got to look at the overall impact. And Subban's overall impact is exactly what this team needs.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's exactly why they trade for him. Like if we made this list and he wasn't at least within the top three, then I would consider that a failed trade. It would somewhere yeah. that they got him for this exact reason to be not just a top four guy, but a top two guy in yeah. a team that was bereft of them. And really so far he has, you know, he's performed.
0: Yeah. Except for the, if the, the guy, if the production was happening, you know, if he was, if those shots or passes he takes, they get finished. They turn into goals. He'll have more points, and it'll become much more obvious that he's he is who he is. Is he a ten million dollar player? No, he is not. Is he the worst ten million dollar player in the NHL? No, thanks to Sergey Borovsky, he is not. But Subban is, in my opinion, right now the best defenseman on the team. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's so. Thank so. Thank you, Bolt Gang, for the uh, for the inspiring question because this was good. Mm-hmm. I like questions like this. I think you like it, too.
1: Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun to think about in terms of what what do we weigh here? And do we yeah. weigh the mistakes that everyone sees all the time? Do we weigh general reaction from the crowd? Do we weigh, you know, more of the advanced analytics or the eye stuff? So we do have slightly different take on it, you and I, but I yeah. don't think it's that far-fetched either way.
0: No, and, and to be fair, we're nine. 19- 19 games into the season. I'm sure if Bolt Gang or somebody else asks this question in, say, February, we're going to have probably a very different list. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tennyson may still end up at last, but for all we know, maybe Severson improves or Green gets worse or Subban gets better or you know Butcher turns his season around, which would be a fantastic thing for this team. Mm-hmm. But this was good.
1: I mean, the existence of Tennyson is one of the reasons I curse Ty Smith's age every time I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well wouldn't it be nice Ty, Ty, if he was a novel call up
0: we discussed this to death we discussed this <laughs> to death back in september he had his chances in
1: and he didn't take advantage yeah i just hope he's watching this season and thinking man they put this guy on the roster over me i must have screwed up real bad at training camp yep <laughs> so hopefully he gets a little motivated there um okay yeah that brings us kind of to the end of the questions for the day and that's what i've got we've talked about schneider's demotion hopefully we'll see him uh, back and much better when he does come back talked about the last couple weeks in or the last week in games do you want to do a quick look ahead before we wrap up absolutely so as
0: we've discussed many times and alluded to the dreaded boston bruins are coming to the rock on the 19th yes boston may have had some struggles as of late but Boston's really good, and the Devils have not matched up well against them for seemingly several years now. So confidence is still at a, at a low for this one. On Friday, the Devils will head to the paint can in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to take on the Penguins. They, Mackenzie Blackwood was reasons A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and I as far as why, how the Devils won that game. I'm sure the Penguins are going to want to do a lot better in front of their home fans. So we'll see how that one goes. But the Devils truly do have the the Penguins number since the 2017-2018 season. They've won seven out of nine games against them uh, and counting. And then lastly, on the 23rd, which is Saturday, the Devils will have their hockey fights since Cancer Night at the Rock as they host the Detroit Red Wings. As we mentioned earlier, they're one of the few teams that's currently behind the Devils in the standings. The Devils have plenty of games in hand on them, but you don't want to lose games to Detroit or anybody around you if you're trying to get back into the playoff picture in the standings. So the Devils will have to hope they have enough uh, enough after the Penguins game. Hopefully that game is not uh, a depressing, demoralizing loss. And even if it is a loss, they got to come out and play real hard, real well, and real good to get a result against Detroit. Because as we've learned with the Ottawa game this past Wednesday, you can't discount – any opponent no matter how they look recently no matter who's missing and no matter how their season is going
1: Mm -hmm. definitely definitely an accurate statement there just given the results from the last couple of weeks and really this season as a whole for new jersey it's again one of those moments where you look at the montreal game and say is this the moment where it kind of turns around is this the galvanizing game that will kind of get them back on track. It remains to be seen, but the first step is to have another positive week. Just keep building positive weeks on positive weeks. You know, yep. No one's expecting them to go out and sweep all these teams, but like you said, two wins would be a pretty good outlook moving forward from these three games.
0: Absolutely. And again, that Montreal game did have some other firsts that we missed. For example, the Heesher goal was the team's first shorthanded goal of the season. That
1: was the first Palmieri... that Montreal had allowed as well.
0: Yes, and Mon- and Paul Mary's goal was the first overtime goal that the Devils have scored. All the other post-regulation wins the Devils have had this season have been in the shootout, which, of course, have not been very often. Mm. So, to that extent, you know, I'm hoping that we can turn- look back and say November 16th is when things started getting better. But for that to happen, they need to start getting more points and more results for the rest of this month and going into December. It's one of those things that you can't really look back and say that was a turning point until three, four, five weeks later. And assuming that the team really did turn things around.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode of Garden State of Hockey. Keep bringing the questions. We love answering them. We love hearing from you guys because this is the kind of season where everyone's going to have a lot of takes. And hopefully they start leaning towards who should be in the winning lineups that they keep putting forward instead of who is next on the chopping block from both the roster and the management perspective. That stuff is never fun for anyone involved nope so all right yeah wherever and whenever you're listening to this i hope you have a good day slash night and let's go devils
0: go devils